0: You're listening to Secrets of Data Analytics
1: Leaders. One is hire data scientists who have expertise in that industry and who work in that field to really understand some of the specifics around not just the field, but the data science around it. And then the second is form partnerships with, with, with the business leaders in various divisions and, and, and have people on your team really liaise to those partnerships consulting field where you, know, you have a large Hello, everyone.
0: Welcome to the Secrets of Data Analytics Leaders. This is Wayne Eckerson, your host for the show. Our theme today is data science. More specifically, the question that most data and IT managers ask me, how do you use data science to deliver real value to the business? To answer that question, we are joined by Alex Vayner a longtime data analytics professional who specializes in building and running high-performance data science teams. Alex ran data analytics at Equifax and Capgemini before joining PA Consulting, where he is a partner and the data and AI practice leader for its America's division. Welcome to the show, Alex.
1: Thanks for having me, Wayne.
0: So first things first, uh, I have not heard of PA Consulting. Why don't you give me the elevator pitch of what this company is and what you do for them?
1: Sure. Um, so PA Consulting is one of the oldest consulting companies in the world. Um, it started actually in 1943, um, believe it or not, training housewives to assemble the tailgun sections of bombers uh, during World War II for the U.K., in truth, it's not really so simple to categorize PA. Um, it's a sui so generous in a way. It's a bit like McKinsey in the sense that uh, we do um, a lot of strategy consulting work for a fee, but really more than that, um, it's actually a technology innovation and design firm that creates real things and real ideas and then invites companies to take them onwards to the marketplace.
0: Great. So to understand how to get value from data science, we've broken down this podcast into three segments, doing the right thing, doing the thing right, and finding the right team. Uh, We may not get through all of those, but uh, let's start. So in doing the right thing, how can you identify problems that data science can address? Uh, To me, this is the biggest challenge facing companies who want to do data science, but they really don't know where to start or how to phrase questions that data scientists can realistically
1: answer. So, what's your take? So, the the, the traditional approach really is: let's look at the value, let's figure out the ROI and the business impact, and let's and, and let's go with that initiative. And I think that that's certainly a big part of the calculus on on picking the right project to work on, the right thing to do, but it's only a part. I think that the, the crucial aspect also involves understanding the feasibility, understanding what is the data that is available to support the initiative that you have in mind, and then specifically diving in to understand what is the accessibility of that data what is its quality? What is its accuracy? Uh, what is its frequency? Uh, what are the other data assets available that you can merge to get more insights? And how does that really productize? So I think that that's, that's a big part of it then. The second part of that feasibility equation really is the part of systems and systems readiness. So once you've got the data readiness checked, the systems readiness really begs the question of, what kind of systems do i need to interact with do i need to interact with the crm for example or do i need to in, you know really have a solid pipeline between my data warehouse and arp system right um and how does how does all of that come together and what i've seen many times is when the feasibility aspect is not dealt with early on uh, what often happens is the business will identify a problem with a higher ROI, perhaps even something that maps to the CEOs and the board's directive uh, in a particular area, let's say marketing, then they'll go and they'll do a quick little POC. Uh, oftentimes they'll hire consultancy to do it, on, you know, um, sometimes our company, sometimes others, and then what they'll find is they, they, they have completed the POC, it's fantastic, they're great results, but now it's going to go into that graveyard of POCs because the data for the broader use case is not really ready or because the the you know the IT is actually going through a you know a one year transformation and won't be ready to actually industrialize that solution for a year and a half.
0: So are you saying that it you can find the data to train a model and create a model but not industrialize it and what's what's the difference then between those data sets?
1: So two things I think one it's You can find the data to maybe do one small, limited, narrow use case, which is what often POCs are. But now when you expand it and you want to cover new geographies, new regions, and new aspects of the business, you realize that the data doesn't exist, or the quality of the data is not as good here as it was in other parts. The second part really is more on systems readiness, right? You realize that your systems are not really prepared for fully industrialized solution, something you didn't have to worry about when you were doing a POC, because you, you didn't have to worry that you're actually using um, Tableau as an organization for visualization, and you could do your visualization in, in Microsoft Power BI, because you just had to visualize your little piece. You didn't have to integrate into the overall visualization schema for your whole organization.
0: Right. So you're talking a little bit about deploying the model, right? Deploying the model into a BI tool for others to gain the benefits of that, uh, of those findings. Uh, or are you talking about uh, deploying into an operational system to do real-time recommendations and things like that?
1: Or maybe both? Yeah, it's, it's actually exactly right. It's both. And you and you may not be ready on either one or on both of them. More often than not, the more complex is the, the operational systems side, the visualization side is, is usually a little bit simpler, but they're, they're, the truth is they're connected as well.
0: Right. Now, do you ever find a disconnect between what the business wants to know or thinks it can get from data science and what the data scientists can actually deliver? In other words, how difficult is it to find the right question to ask in a data science project? so that the business gets something of value and the data scientists can actually deliver it?
1: It can be difficult if the problem is not well defined. I think defining the problem is probably the most challenging part of that early stage POC. And a lot of the times it's an iterative process. So we go to the business leaders and we ask them and we we hear a, a point of view and actually part of the POC or proof of value is what I've I've been starting to call these uh, initiatives because it's really all about velocity to value are actually validating the impact that that data science project will have. So I'll give an example. I did a project for a B2B customer in manufacturing and the project was building a recommendation engine, right? So it it was something that, was going to increase their cross-sales and app sales And the client had you know, a target of X hundreds of millions of dollars. And um, that target broke down by geographies and by product types and different divisions of the company. And what we did in the POC is we actually took only one type of product, only one division. And for that division, we were able to get an accurate view of cross-sell, up opportunities and then we can extrapolate that and say, look, um, your original expectation was 500 million, about 50 million of which was around this particular product. Well, our POC showed that it was not 50 million, that it was 25. So, you know, it, it, it probably is a good point to say that you've, you know, overestimated by a factor of two in general, because you've done that specifically here. So now we adjust the ROI from 500 million to 250.
0: Oh, that that's that's interesting it's it's also inter- interesting that you're approaching these problems with a dollar savings or revenue amount in mind. Uh, that's obviously a good practice. Um, <clears throat> I also wanted to comment that it you know the cross-sell upsell that's a classic data science project uh, that probably every company can benefit from but I've been seeing some, some data science leaders and, and they're applying models to just about everything in their organization. And a lot of it's very iterative. So they'll, they'll solve one problem and then they'll realize, oh, well, we can dive a little deeper and uh, add a little bit more data and make this model a little bit more nuanced and get more accurate results. But I do find that a lot of times the business people have no idea that these kinds of questions can be asked and solved with, with data science you know, thinking outside the box uh, about how to use models to drive business value. It's just not something business people are, are used to. But maybe I'm not talking to the same folks you are, so do you have any observations on that score?
1: No, I think our, our, our views are quite similar on this. Um, the, one of the roles I, I feel very strongly about is having that very, very deep, granular business knowledge. And I often, as a partner, take that on myself, um, sometimes because the team is really more domain focused, sometimes because actually to manage the relationship, and especially the senior stakeholders, really have to know their business inside out. So um, recently, I had a a project in in a particular domain, and I actually spent um, two weeks uh, reading papers, white papers, conference papers, um, um, really... Um, several books that I've uh, scanned through to really understand this particular industry before I went in and had my first client conversation and the results were really extraordinary because the client felt like they were they were talking to someone who could at least if not match their expertise on the topic but at least use the the right language and be responsible for knowing the the terms and uh, and have a thoughtful conversation sometimes thoughtful disagreements one of the challenges in consulting, you you find is that um, you'll come in with a strong point of view, and if you don't really know the business, it's very hard to argue with a client who can say, "Look, you don't understand my business, so um, you know whatever point of view you have on data science, without that understanding, it's it's not really legitimate, and, and they're not wrong."
0: Yeah, that's really interesting, and and it brings up a, a success factor that I've been talking about for many years. Uh, Not just in data science, but in business intelligence as well, is that the more domain knowledge your developers have, or your data scientists in this case, the more successful you're going to be. And so I'm going to jump to the doing the thing right segment a little bit here and and ask, how do you ensure that people have the right domain knowledge? I mean, you gave an example of of yourself as a consultant who would come in and, and read up, but you know, in many organizations, data scientists are centralized and, you know, may not have the domain knowledge of a specific department to be really effective. Uh, I'm wondering if there's a particular way that you might recommend that people should organize your data scientists to ensure um, they have that domain knowledge and can deliver value fast.
1: So I think there are sort of a couple of layers to this question, Wayne. I think one is, if you are a corporation and you you know, you're actually exist in a particular industry. So I worked at Equifax, which is in the, you know, now the, what's called the fintech industry. Um, then it's it's very helpful to do two things. One is hire data scientists who have expertise in that industry and who work in that field. Who really understand some of the specifics around not just the field but the data science around it. And then the second is form partnerships with 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 the business leaders in the various divisions, and 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 have people on your team really liaise to those partnerships. In a consulting field where you know you have a large team at the more senior level, where you have a project and a and a, and a senior manager on a data science project, um, what I've done is actually ensure that the the, the folks at the more senior level. are going to be managed during the client relationships are often not just data science means but they're also business means as well so what what ends up happening in consulting is at the most senior levels you often have sub-specializations and oftentimes those specializations are either in a particular industry so a life sciences expert if you will a manufacturing expert who really understands the business but also more importantly understand what are the most common use cases for data science in that business? Um, or you have domain experts. And these are folks that are experts in subdomains, horizontal domains of data science. So it could be natural language processing. It could be the recommendations engines we talked about. It could be facial recognition and computer vision. It could be pricing, supply chain optimization, or you know, hundreds and hundreds of other use cases that exist around applications of data science and that, folks specialize in particular subsets.
0: Right. So you're know, diving in a little bit further. Uh, you know, the data scientists, when they get into a project, they don't exist in a vacuum. <laughs> they have to deal with business and IT uh, and perhaps other folks as well. So what would you say is the role? Let's just pick on business and IT inside a data science project to make sure it's successful and the data scientist is, is doing the work that they're uh, intending to do.
1: The truth is that it's it's a bit of a continuation of the genesis, right? The genesis, if you remember, you know, on picking the right thing was talk to the business to really understand the business impact and, you know, the ROI and talk to IT to really understand the data and systems readiness. And you know, now once you chose the right thing and you want to do it right, you have to maintain those conversations. So. You know, again, that that graveyard of POCs is filled with unrealized ones that never went to industrialization because either somebody didn't start or stopped talking to the IT organizations, so they didn't know about ongoing transformations in IT, changes in vendors, um, readiness of systems to process, um, you know, big batches of data, presence of a data lake or not. Um, you know, existing cloud infrastructure versus not, on-prem versus off. Um, and and, 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 and that's, that's crucial, obviously, for, for building out a real solution. Um, the, on the flip side, the, on the business, if, if you are not in tune with specifically what kind of solution would map and answer a existing pain point for the head of marketing or the president of a business division, then you risk that you're going to build something really, really interesting and engaging, but it's really not going to be an exact fit. So um, we've seen clients where um, a fascinating project was was actually done by the IT organization in partnership with consulting, right? And one of the challenges IT has is that. It's a little bit scared of the business, right, uh, in, in many ways because it's um, oftentimes it's disappointed, the business. Um, the business seems to expect amazing results to happen overnight, and the listening that the business has of IT is everything takes too long, it's too expensive, and it's too complicated. So to sort of compensate for that, what we've seen is IT coming in and say, well, first let's build something, and then we'll tell the business about it. And this is one of the biggest problems that I see because you know, three months into it, you finish that proof of value. You want to show it to the head of marketing, but the use case you chose is actually was not the right thing, right? The right thing would have been to talk to him in the beginning, uh, but IT didn't want you to do that. So um, consulting companies oftentimes end up playing the role of an ambassador, an arbitrator between the business and IT, And they bring it together. And one of the things that that happen is you you open up a conversation, you build the right sponsors and partners, and that allows you to actually solve the problems, both from a systems and data perspective, as well as from the the business perspective.
0: Right. So let's address the elephant in the room. You are a consultant, right? (laughs) But when should a company uh, build its own team and when should it hire a consultant or some other type of service to do data science do you have any recommendations there
1: sure so it's it's really a question of what are you trying to build and how much of it is core to your business and there are many different dimensions to this so and I'll give you a little bit of color so one of the things that you know when you know that's important when you're building out a data science team is you're going to have really top-notch data scientists so i had a client once who uh, was based out of Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, now, not a lot of today's, you know, young young people graduating from the top tier schools, Berkeley's, MITs, and you know, Columbias and um, Georgia Techs, are eager to move to Grand Rapids, right? And so this is a com- this is a consideration as you think about, you know, do I build my own team, or do I use consultants? A second example could be, do you see data science um, and building new products and solutions as something that you're going to have to do continuously for the next 10 years, which would justify hiring a team? Or do you really see that once you build out a product or two that's going to be core to your business, you'll be done and you'll just need folks to maintain it? In which case, what you really want is to hire a, a consultancy, a service provider to build and then you can hire your own one or two people to maintain that and then maybe perhaps go back to the consultancy, you know once every few years to for upkeep and maintenance of the product, right? for innovation. Um, so that's another consideration, right? how you know how critical is you know the products or solutions that you're building, and how long term do you think you'll need to do the building? The more common question I hear, You know even within the solution space you know i can i can buy an existing solution from a company or i can i can build one even if i build it with a consultancy i'm still building it and clients often come to me and ask which way should they go most recently had a conversation literally last week with a client in the healthcare space and you know they're thinking about a sales enablement tool and they have a specific boutique player you know, a company that just kind of, you know, grew up three years ago, a startup specializes in sales enablement um, and uh, versus buying an existing product from one of the you know, top tier uh, global product providers that has a module um, for this. That's option number one. Within that option, the buy option, there's, you know, buying a startup versus buying a um a a solution from a, a large product company and the build option also has sort of two branches in it right one is you know i can hire a large firm a deloitte or an accenture um you know to help me build this or you know i can hire a small firm to do it um and you know what are the pros and cons of each um really the question is about price and control so if you buy a solution um well i guess the third uh, the third point is speed so if you buy a solution you will get the most on speed um but you will lose out on the price because the price will be set by the provider whether it's a small startup or it's a large product company and you will lose out on ip because the ip will never be yours the ip will be the company so what that means is that you're always under the control of the vendor, whoever's building the product and and, and providing it to you as a service, because they can increase their price and you're really subject to it. If you end the service, you lose a lot of the algorithms, the data and the insights you've been leveraging for years and you have no IP. So if you feel that the, the, the insights are really core part of your business, if you think that it's actually gonna create a new revenue stream for you, then the buy option is really not the best one. The build option, on the other hand, um, you lose out on the speed because it takes time to build, whether you're doing it yourself or you're doing it with a consulting partner. Um, but what you do win on is you win on IP uh, because hopefully whoever the consulting company you're with will actually make sure that the IP is yours long term in yours to keep. You'll also win on the price. You'll pay a higher price up front because there will be an investment to build a product, um, but then you'll have much lower margins, um, rather higher margins and lower costs um, down the road. So if you look at a five-year-plus horizon, it's probably the smarter decision. And then the last bit that people ask about is, you know, the, the cloud choice. And, you know, how does that figure into the, the buy or build decision? So if it's a build, it's really something that your provider will manage. If it's a buy, rather. But if it's a build, then what you should be asking your consulting partner is, you know, how do I leverage, whether it's AWS or Microsoft Azure's existing platforms, existing data science products and libraries, whether it comes to pricing or NLP or computer vision, they, they all have dozens of products. That allow you to leverage open source libraries and existing libraries that they've built themselves to accelerate those solutions.
0: Well, that, you, you raise a lot of interesting issues there. Uh, it does seem like a lot of data science is going to the cloud. Uh, do you think that's a wise decision? And you know, are the benefits just uh, overwhelmingly in in favor of using these cloud-based services? You know, there's unlimited computing, just about. Um, and, you know, you can put all your data up there. Uh, it seems like a, a wonderland for data scientists.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, the way I think about cloud is probably the way people thought about, you know, the Internet in the 90s, right? Um, if you ask, is, is, is cloud uh, overhyped? You know, I think that um, the answer is probably yes. Uh, but if you ask, will cloud... Deliver on everything and then some. I think the answer is definitely yes, right? So if you if you looked at uh, internet in the late 90s, you know, uh, early 2000s when the bubble burst, probably people said, "Oh, wow, this internet thing is way overhyped." But if you think about technology today and where we are, you know, nobody could possibly argue that internet didn't deliver on everything that it could possibly have been thought of to deliver and then some, right? So. Um, I think I don't think it's a choice really anymore. Um, there are special circumstances when you want to have an on-prem solution um, around security, and you know there are reasons. But then all at the same time, there are you know there are reasons to have the same, um, you know, uh, and, and opportunities to have the same in the private cloud and to have similar security features um, that that you have in an on-prem solution
0: yeah I, th- I think people have said uh, that there's a tendency to overestimate the value of something in the short run, but overmet- underestimate its value in the long in the long run. Uh, it's a common human tendency.
1: And also the idea Wayne, of the unknown unknown, right? So if you think about security, which is one of the biggest concerns with the cloud, you know think about the quantum revolution, right and And the quantum computing comes to be. Um, and you know there's 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 enough investment in enough conversations to, to to show that this is a real possibility in the next decade. Then you know the the RSA algorithms that are sort of behind most of the security protocols today uh, will basically become obsolete because a quantum computer will will we'll crack them and and, and will figure out factorization of of prime numbers in in seconds versus in in, in millions of years, which is what it would take a, the fastest supercomputer to do today. and that's kind of what the, most of our security protocols rely on today.
0: Well, that's a scary thought. so maybe we should outlaw quantum computing right now,? huh? <laughs> uh,
1: there's, well, there's, there's a lot of noise online. Um, and uh, we, we could certainly outlaw it in the US. Uh, I think there, there are several um, centers being put up by some by product companies like, um, like IBM. And Microsoft, but probably the biggest effort that's being um, underway is in China. And uh, I don't know if we can outlaw that. So uh, quantum computing is coming. I think it's a question of of when and not a question of if.
0: Yeah, the relentless march of technology cannot be stopped. Uh, Listen, one last question here, and I think we're going to table the the, uh, question about how to create uh, a data science team until next time. But one thing I've found a couple of companies stumble uh, onto or, or find as uh, obstacles was the fact that all of a sudden uh, they've got all these different analytical models <laughs> running the company and they conflict, You know, some of which they bought, some of which they built, and all of a sudden they've got multiple versions of analytical truth. And uh, it's the same thing that we experience in the data warehousing world, actually, and still do. Um, is how, how do you resolve all these different models that may be using the same data but generating different answers? Is that something you run into at all?
1: Sure, and then there are a couple of dimensions to unpack here as well, Wayne. I think I think one 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 way that that's been helpful to me in my experience and in, in 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 talking to companies of how to sort of untangle this is a almost like a philosophical view of top down versus bottom up. So the, the, the traditional view and approach has been bottom up. And that's kind of what ends up you know, with a, a large repository of, of, of models that use different data assets, different languages, and, and that really are not connected to each other. And the, the question is, well, it's, it's a big mess. And it's, it's almost like you're coming into a room, and it's, you know, it's dirty, and it's messy. And then you start thinking about, how do I organize this whole room? And, you know, the the approach that we've used that's helped is actually to say, forget about organizing this room. Um, Let's flip the thinking to top down and say, okay, um, in the business problem that I want to solve, um, really, which models are the most relevant and what do I need? What are the inputs and what are the outputs? And how do I set up microservices if I need to refactor them and abstract them for these models to talk to each other? And what that does is it says, okay, I don't I'm not overwhelmed by thousands of models, right? I have a few dozen. And then you deconstruct them and say, okay, what are the languages? What are the data assets? And then again, you create an environment where you've solved a particular business problem that is part of the overall solution. And that actually maps to a specific set, subset of models and a specific subset of data. It's a very similar paradigm to the one that we went through um, you know, I think a few years ago where you know we've been setting up these data warehouses, right? And we've been really focused on acquiring and managing and scrubbing and structuring data, right? And then we said, oh, we have all of this data, but how do we get to solutions and insights and all those things, right? And sort of some of the solution was, well, let's just create a data lake which is just a messy place where we throw data and we don't scrub it, we don't clean it. In fact, like the that's where it should be in its most raw form. And it is when we are ready to build a solution that we'll actually bifurcate the data, put it into a data warehouse, and then actually set it up to ingest into the right model in the right way. So similar approach to modeling, right? So forget about thousands of models Let's talk about which ones are relevant to a particular business case, and then bring those, and then you unravel those models. And sometimes the decision is, okay, I, I have to write this in, in, in Python, and it was an Excel-based model, and you solve that by actually you know, having a project which transforms a, an Excel-based model with VBA code into a Python model. Or sometimes it's actually hey, it's Python code, but you know it's it actually lives in different places, and and it's here it's optimized with PySpark, and here it's not, and 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 you know how do we bring it all together?
0: Huh, that's interesting. So <laughs> I haven't heard anyone make uh, an analogy uh, to data warehousing for how to uh, consolidate and uh, normalize models, but makes a lot of sense because it's exactly what we're doing in the data warehousing space. or I should say the data architecture world is, uh, yeah, let's bring in and persist all that raw data, uh, build up some building blocks, uh, and then allow people to go take those blocks and build something very specific for their business unit. So it, it sounds like instead of data, we're talking about models as as forming this kind of data science data lake
1: this is actually the you know the a, a microcosm of the general approach uh, you know that I have to to building the the data capability which is really what we are talking about right and it, the idea is it's the you know it's what I call the hybrid approach right the it's it's one that lives between the bottom up that's pure which is let's just experiment let's just do stuff well then we don't really have the organizational structure and we don't have the buy for that experimentation to land on on fertile ground. The opposite approach also fails, right? Which is, it's you know, I call it the McKinsey approach, but it's really the approach of, let's go and interview 175 stakeholders, you know, on how they see data science. Let's go and, and do market research and let's come, come up with the org model and the target operating model. But then we're missing the exciting Use case that we've actually built out, and we don't have that, you know, use case to show. We just have, you know, a deck with lots of slides that says, you know, we think that, you know, this is what your org should be, and this is how you should operate. And I think that building that hybrid approach to build to the capability is what brings it all together. It says, look, bottom up, let's just run some experiments and build, um, you know, a use case. And by the way we have a way to figure out how to find the right one. And we, we have some approach to doing it quickly, right? And then, you know, in parallel, let's build a quick roadmap for, for your organization, but let's not fool ourselves into thinking that we can tell you what data science will be in five years and how you should do it. Because in five years, the world would change too much. And having a, even a three-year roadmap, um, I think, in, in a lot of industries is, 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 is really... A, a fool's errand right because technology will change so much the business will change so much companies go up and down and, and are sort of born and die within six months these days what will happen in three years
0: right so bottom up being you know don't be afraid to experiment and build something top down being you now let's have a roadmap uh to where we're going for the most part but don't get stuck or analysis paralysis
1: yeah. And, and the hybrid is basically taking a light version of those two, combining it. And and the way you do it is, you know, you, you form the, you know, I call them pods. They're, they're data pods, right? And they'll have a combination of, of these various data scientists, which we'll talk about next time. And they all come together and they help you solve the business problem. And then they help you set up your prototype. And then eventually move it to what I call the MSP, the Minimum Scalable Product, which has replaced replace the MVP as the, as, as the sort of the artifact of choice to, to set up for business success.
0: Well, great. That, that's a good place to stop for today. Uh, Alex, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, I learned a lot, and I'm sure our audience did too. Thank you, Wayne. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please subscribe. If you want more content from business intelligence to data management to data science, browse to the Eckerson Group website at eckerson.com.